Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. So this is our, you know, they say hindsight is twenty twenty. Well, we're going to do our first sermon of 2020 as the last sermon of 2019, since hindsight is twenty twenty. And we're going to talk about prayer. And this is very important. I want this to kind of set the theme for the next year. Now, most of us, I would assume, know a little something about prayer. But as I've learned from being a manager in a retail store, never assume people know anything. So we're going to start with the very basics. And let me just tell you a little bit about my journey with prayer before we get started. Now, I come to faith in the ninth grade. And when I confessed faith in Christ, this church gave me a Bible and told me about Jesus and said, figure out the rest on your own. No one taught me how to pray. I read many books on prayer, and it made it more difficult than it probably should have been. So I want us to outline something about prayer this morning. Prayer is responsive. God speaks to us in his word, and we respond to God. We're speaking not to something in the clouds. We're speaking to a person who cares about us. That makes all the difference in the world. Don't you know you talk to a stranger vastly different than you talk to your best friend? Why? Because you know them. And in the same way, let's let's focus on this text through our sermon in a sentence. What we believe about God will define how we pray. What we believe about God will define how we pray. Let's pray and we're going to jump right in. Father, there is no subject as simple and profound as prayer. It is something that every Christian struggles with. And even his own disciples said, Jesus, teach us to pray. Father, as Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, I pray that you would teach us now how to pray. I pray that you would reveal yourself as a God who longs to hear and answers our prayer. I pray your spirit would abide in me as I speak your words this morning. And that you would abide in all of our ears as we take in the truths of your word. Father, I ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Again, we're reading Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not unto temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And will he answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. 
And I tell you, ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And thus ends the reading of God's Word this morning. I want you to do an exercise with me. I want you to think of your favorite elementary school teacher. Mine was a lady named Pam Massey. I saw her several years ago. I didn't think she'd recognize me, but she did. She ran up to me and she said, Zach, you haven't grown a bit. She was sweet as pie. But do you know what? As much as she loved me, if I was in a bind, she would definitely not be the first person I called. That though she loved me, she really couldn't help me. But think of somebody else, like I uh, think of Bill Gates. Bill Gates is a wealthy man. He's very powerful. But does he know you? I mean, he could move. He he could build us a brand new building, but he doesn't know us. He wouldn't do that for us. He's powerful, but he's not good. And now, do we see the dichotomy here? Quite often, we view God as Bill Gates, someone who is powerful but someone who doesn't care about me. And this is a problem. John Calvin addresses way back in the 1500s. He said, Never will the hearts of men be led to pray until they're convinced of the goodness of God. Now this morning, we're going to spend a few minutes defining who God is. For what we believe about God will define how we pray. So let us talk about the goodness of God, the glory of God, and the gist of prayer. Now what does the goodness of God have to do with our prayers? Well, we see it in verse 11. He says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? You see, human fathers point to the goodness of God. We understand this, don't we? Many times we receive good things from our fathers that typically our fathers will do without so that we have what we need to succeed in life. That our fathers will do without so that we can have a better tomorrow. And they do this because they care for us, because they delight in us as their children. Now, it's easy to say, my dad delights in me. But can we say that God delights in me? Now, for some of us, this may be a problem. For some of us, it's hard to picture God as a fatherly figure. None of our fathers are perfect. If I could sit here and have time, I could tell you many instances where my father caused deep pains in my life. That my father drank away much of our livelihood. And yet my father still took care of me. And Jesus addresses this in the text. He says it right here. You who are evil know how to give good gifts. 
But look at how Jesus handles this. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Spirit to those who ask Him? How much more will the Father give the Spirit? Now you see He addresses Him as Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, the word heavenly should remind us that God's goodness and His love and His wisdom is far above the heavens. So high we can't comprehend it. And yet the word Father reminds us that He is very near to us. And now I can hear the cry in many of our hearts just at the words that my Father delights in me. How dare you, Zach, tell me that God is good? You don't know how many nights I've slept in my car. You don't know the fear, the depression, the anxiety that I wrestle with every day. And yet you stand up there and tell me that God is good. Don't you see how wrong belief robs us of a prayer life? I think of Elizabeth Elliot. Her and her husband Jim were some missionaries to a South American tribe. And her husband Jim was brutally murdered by the South American natives. But Elizabeth Elliot stayed. And she recounts the days and the weeks following the death of her husband. And she would rock her 10-year-old daughter, 10-month-old daughter that had no father. And she would sing to that child, Jesus loves me, this I know. Can you imagine holding that 10-month-old baby, singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. You see, the world tries to rob us of the goodness of God. But finish the song with me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And isn't this what Jesus tells us here? He says, the Father gives us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit proves the goodness of God, that this Holy Spirit is the gift of our Heavenly Father. It is the highest pitch of His love. The Holy Spirit proves His goodness because it came at such a high cost for Him. Let me paraphrase something that Samuel Rutherford once said. Do we think it's a small gift to stand before the throne of God? When God's one and only Son was bowed to the ground in the Garden of Gethsemane, to be clothed in white and called to the marriage supper of the Lamb while His Son hungered naked and alone on the cross, to drink our fill of living water when He was given sour wine to drink, to reach up our hand and grab from the tree of life when He was cut off from the land of the living. Because of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has been poured out on us. If we want to see the goodness of God this morning, we must look to Jesus Christ. Paul hits the nail on the head in the end of Romans 8. He says, He who did not spare His only Son, but gave Him for us all, will He not also graciously give us all things. I recently read of a baby in Kenya that could not cry. The baby stopped crying because he realized in the orphanage that no matter how much he cried, no one was coming. So the baby just stopped crying. Well, the baby was adopted by a loving family. 
they cared and nurtured for the child, and the child learned to cry. It wasn't that the child learned to cry. It was that the child learned to be loved. Do you know the love of the Father? Do you cry out to Him? Have you experienced the second birth? and been cradled in the sweet and loving arms of our Heavenly Father. Do you believe that He looks down upon you and me as His children with delight? If we are not raptured by the goodness of God, we will not pray. We may speak many words into the air, but until our hearts are set on fire by the flames of affection, we will never offer our prayers to God. If we continue to define God by indifference, we will be defined by a lack of delight. We must begin by letting our prayers be defined by the goodness of God. And this brings us to our second point. Not only is it the goodness of God that is important, but it's the glory of God So let's put goodness and glory next to each other and see how this defines our prayer life. Jesus says in verses 5 through 8, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, yet because he is his friend, yet because of his impotence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Now what does this story have to do with God's glory? Jesus wraps together the idea of glory and care. You see, in Jesus' day, if someone came in out of town... It was not simply the responsibility of the host to care for them. But the responsibility fell upon the whole community. So if one person didn't care for them, it made the whole community look bad. Now we understand this, don't we? We place a great value on our name. Let me just paraphrase Jesus' story for a moment. Say you work at a mom and pop place and there's this sweet old secretary. She's worked there 35 years. And she's in the hospital for a couple of nights. And no one calls. No one visits. No one sends her flowers. Is she going to say, my boss doesn't care about me? Or is she going to say, those people don't care about me? You see, because of a lack of care, the whole group's name is dragged through the mud. Now, in the same way, God places an even greater value on his name. St. Athanasius says that the weakness rather than the goodness of God is made known by neglect. When Moses goes up to Pharaoh, he says, All right, Pharaoh, let my people go that they may go worship the Lord. And what what does Pharaoh say? Who is the Lord? It's on at that point. God's glory is wrapped up in the redemption and the care of his people. When they sinned with the golden calves, God was ready to wipe them out. But Moses says, whoa, 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 whoa. 
What will Egypt think when they realize you couldn't keep your promise? And for the sake of his glory, he relents. Even in things like Psalm 31, David says, For your name's sake, for the glory of your name, you guide me. We can rest assured that his, his arm is not too short to save, nor his ear too short to hear. That when God hears us when we call, for he puts his glory on the line for us. I think of my uncle. He's restoring a Model A. He dropped a Hemi in it this year. Last year, he put some ostrich skin seats in this Model A. And one day, if I said, Uncle Marty, can I take her out for a spin? And he'd say, sure, Zach, just bring her back in one piece. Well, if I brought her back with a huge scratch on the side and no gas in the tank, and I let my, the pin in my pocket rip the seat, and I'll pull up and i say, hey, she's in one piece. Do you think he's going to let me drive it again? I highly doubt he's going to let me come. I will not be getting a Christmas card that year. But we see how this relates to our salvation, don't we? Think of the Psalms. Psalm 120 is one of my favorites. In my distress, I called upon the Lord, and he answered me. The psalmist cries out in despair, distress, anxiety, fears of death. Jesus heals sick kids, mother-in-laws, pays taxes, feeds families, and all sorts of things that really in the scale of eternity, they seem kind of petty. But for Jesus, they're worthy of concern. God's glory isn't simply in getting us in heaven, but it is getting us to heaven. It's not simply salvation in heaven, But it is all the million moments in between. If God is our Father, we have been adopted into His family. Now think of your Christmas family gathering this week. How many grandkids and kids did you talk to this week? Now did you talk to them about their future college choices, their future spouse, how they're investing their 401k? I highly doubt that's all you talked about. You probably talked about what they've been doing in school, uh, the headaches, the drama, what's their favorite kind of makeup, what what kind of toys they want to get next year. All these things are not that important, aren't they? But you listen because you are invested in them. And when we pray to God, we must remember that God is invested in us. That if you're united by faith and adopted into His family... God is glorified in your salvation and your sanctification. That the path of sanctification is made up of a million mundane, boring moments. That as we look in the Exodus, God cared as much about the parting of the Red Sea as their footwear not wearing out. That Jesus cared as much about going to the cross as making up with Peter and feeding him afterwards. We don't have to make this an either-or situation. We can make it a both-and. And as we even looked at last week, we look at Christ's life as an infant. He moved. He was chased around. We see in his 30s, he did a lot of ordinary things. He obeyed his parents. He worked with his father. He went to school. These are the boring moments that make up our lives. 
And yet this is the content of our lives. Our lives are, divide, are defined most often by the boring instead of the spectacular. And if this is true, God receives glory in even the most mundane, ordinary, obscure events of our life. That these events are of chief concern to God. So let me ask you, what did you pray for today? Was it for the big things or did you really think that God was glorified in your lost car keys, in your lunch plans, in what time your doctor visit should be? Do we think that God's glory is all-encompassing or it only hits on the big things in life? Let me just reassure you. There are no little prayers in God's kingdom. I can tell you many nights in my house where I've heard about the night at the museum in Home Alone for the 5,000th time, and I continue to listen because I love my child. And in the same way, many of us have the same cares going from day to day, and God continues to listen because you are his child. What we believe about God will define how we pray. So now that we have an idea of God's goodness and glory, I want us to put this together. Let me give you a short rundown on the gist of prayer. We see that the Lord's prayer is a prayer of a son who delights in his father. For how does he start it? Father, hallowed be thy name. These are words of a heart reflective that is just reflects on the love of his father. See, I finished a book Friday and I had to go to work Friday. And when I met my friend, the first thing I did is I told him about that book. Why? Because I enjoyed it so much. And in the same way, when we pray, hallowed be thy name, it is because we delight in God so much. But the text goes on. It says, your kingdom come. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, the cry has been, come, Lord Jesus. We long for his prayer. Because with a kingdom comes a king, and this is the king we want to see. This is a prayer that can only be prayed by those who delight in God. Cain did not delight in God. Pharaoh did not delight in God. Herod did not delight in God. They could not pray this prayer. Archibald Alexander well said that there is no praying soul in hell because a praying soul is a soul that delights in God. Do we delight in God this morning? We must move from indifference to endearment. This begins by delighting in God, but how do we do that? You see, I've been purposely using the word delight instead of love. Love is this... What is love? Yeah, I, I about started singing the song. What is love? It's a... We can define my love for bops in the same way as my love for God. That's why I use the word delight. David says, I delight in God's law, it's sweeter than honey. You can't delight in honey. You can't know how sweet it is until you taste it, until you eat it, until you get sticky fingers and honey all over the place. In the same way, you cannot delight in God until you have experienced God. And when we read his word, 
when we sit under the preaching of the Word each and every week, we experience God as He speaks to us through His Word. If we do not believe in Him, if we do not delight in Him, we will not pray to Him. We must drink deeply into, in Christ. We will find a million other things to do besides pray if we do not delight in Christ. How many times do we sit down to pray and we start praying and we think, you know what, I sure do need some cream of chicken soup. And the next thing you know, your mind is off. Why? Because your delight in God is often starting to wane. We must begin to talk to each other about His goodness in our lives and all the great things He has done. The closer we draw to God through His Word and prayer, the more we will delight in Him. This is the key to enjoying God. Hang on. I missed. Nope, that's right. This is the key to enjoying God and delighting in Him forever. If the heart does not accompany prayer, it's not praying. Finally, this is a prayer of a son depending on his father. J.C. Ryle says daily wants and daily mercies are the chief things that men want. That's why Jesus hammers so hard about God's glory. God is uniquely invested in us. If you don't believe God cares for you and your daily needs, well, you surely won't bring it to him. You all know that one friend that said, look, if you need me, just call me. And you call him and he says, oh man, I'm so busy. You never called him again, did you? In the same way, if you don't believe God cares about you and your needs, we will not go to him. So often we go through this life and we say, oh, all good things come from heaven. And yet we fail to seek all things from him. We put all of our stock in what we can taste, taste and touch and feel. And yet we forget that all spiritual blessings are given to us in Christ. That the pleasures of this world will pass away, but we have a Father that gives us lasting things. We rob God of His glory when we fail to seek Him for these things. We must confess with our lips and remember question 26 of the Holleberg Catechism. We know that He provides all things necessary for us both body and soul. And further, that he will make whatever evils he sends upon me in this life as we go through this veil of tears for my advantage. For he is able, for he is the almighty God, and he is willing because he is a faithful father. In closing, let me leave you with something, a, a brief story to highlight something incredibly practical. I want you to think about your children. What was the first word your child ever spoke? For mine, it was probably food, but typically it's daddy. And that's not just here. Around the world, the first word a child typically says is daddy, father. Why? Because this child's entire outlook on life has been shaped by the words and works of one man, their father. So when you pray, how has the works and words of God shaped your outlook on life? It begins with the word, 
Father. As you draw near to God, reading His Word at home, coming each and every Sunday, and I know it seems, I'm coming to hear some scrawny country preacher once a week. How does this change my life? But they said the same thing about Paul in Ephesians. And Paul says in Ephesians, Jesus Christ came and spoke peace to you. Have you read in the Bible of Jesus going to Ephesus? I have not. But he was there through the preaching of Paul. That when his word is opened and proclaimed, Jesus is here with us. And as we draw near to Christ each and every week, we learn something else about our Father. So I would encourage you, if you struggle with prayer, pick up your Bible and learn about your Father. Not only will you learn the word Father, but just like our children, they mimic our habits. They mimic our words. They learn their speech and their vocabulary from their Father. And as you pick up the Word, as you sit under the preaching, you will learn the words and vocabulary of your Heavenly Father. Because all prayer is, is responsive. When we come here, we open with a call to worship, don't we? That's God speaking to us. And then we pray. That's us speaking to God. That's all prayer is. is a conversation between two people. So what do you believe about God? And what do you know of Him? Start with the word Father and let the rest of it grow from there. Let us pray. Father, that is such a sweet, sweet word. You could have revealed yourself to us as warden, as executioner, or you could have not revealed yourself at all. And yet you revealed yourself to us as Father. I pray that we would cling to this word, that we would see that all things we have are not provided by how hard we work, but they are gifts from our Father. That we would look to you in prayer like a child looks at the tree every Christmas, expecting a gift from their Father. That we would look to you for the gifts of righteousness and peace and all things necessary, both body and soul, because you are the Almighty God. And you are a faithful father. I pray you write that name on our hearts this morning. That we may cry out to you later this evening. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.